0: Good morning and welcome to Daily Devotions. My name is Israel and as always, it is a privilege to encourage you on this Monday morning. We are continuing on with our devotion series on the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. You can read about his apostolic mission to the Corinthian church in Acts chapter 18. And today we are in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 is an important passage Uh, in the letter to the Corinthian church because Paul's addressing in this passage one of the five primary concerns that he had for the Corinthian church. And one of the concerns he had was order within worship. You see, the Corinthian church seemed to have been divided. They loved the gift of tongues. But there was also some people in the church that seemed to have some other ideas around the gift of tongues. And they were so enthusiastic about praying in tongues that they started praying in tongues as their church services. And so the apostle in this passage is busy addressing the place that the gift of tongues has in a church service. I'm reading from the message translation this morning, and I want to read to you uh, First Corinthians 14, but just a few of the opening verses to give a little bit of context of what we're going to unpack now. Verses one, go after a life of love as if your life depended on it. Because it does, give yourselves to the gift God gives you. Most of all, try to proclaim his truth. If you praise him in the private language of tongues, God understands, but no one else does. For you are sharing intimacies just between you and him. But when you proclaim his truth in everyday speech, you're letting others in on the truth so that they can grow and be strong and experience His presence with you. The one who prays using a private prayer language certainly gets a lot out of it, but proclaiming God's truth to the church in its common language brings the whole church into growth and strength. I want all of you to develop intimacies with God in prayer. but please don't stop with, but please don't stop with that. Go on and proclaim his clear truth to others. It's more important that everyone has access to the knowledge of the love of God in language everyone understands than for you to go off and cultivate God's presence in a mysterious prayer language. Unless, of course, there is someone who can interpret with you and what you are saying for the benefit of all. Think, friends. If I come to you, and all I do is pray privately to God in a way only He can understand, what are you going to get out of that? If I don't address you plainly with some insight or truth or proclamation or teaching, what help am I to you? If musical instruments, flutes, say, or harps aren't played so that each note is distinct and in tune, how will anyone be able to catch the melody and enjoy the music? If the trumpet call can't be distinguished, will anyone show up for the battle? So if you speak in a way that no one can understand, what's the point of opening your mouth? There are many languages in the world, and they all mean something to someone. But if I don't understand language, it's not going to do me much good. It's no different with you. Since you're so eager to participate in what God is doing, why don't you concentrate on doing what helps everyone in the church. So when you pray in your private prayer language, then hoard the experience for yourself. Pray for the insight and ability to bring others into that intimacy. If I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind lies fallow, and all that intelligence is wasted. So what is the solution? The answer is simple enough, do both. I should be spiritually free and expressive as I pray, But I should also be thoughtful and mindful as I pray. I should sing with my spirit and sing with my mind. If I give a blessing using your private prayer language, which no one else understands, how can some outsider who has just shown up and has no idea of what's going on, when to say amen? Your blessing might be beautiful, but you have very effectively cut that person out. I'm grateful to God for the gift of praying in tongues that He gives us for praising Him, which leads to wonderful intimacies we enjoy with Him. I enter into this as much or more than any of you. But when I'm in a church assembled worship, I'd rather say five words that everyone can understand and learn from than say 10,000 that sounds to others like gibberish. To be perfectly frank, I'm getting exasperated with your childish thinkings. How long before you grow up and use your head, your adult head? It's all right to have a childlike unfamiliarity of evil. A simple no is all that's needed there. But there's far more to saying yes to something. Only mature and well-exercised intelligence can save you from falling into gullibility. It's written in scripture when God said, In strange tongues and from the mouths of strangers I will preach to this people, but they'll neither listen nor believe. So where does it get you? All the speaking in tongues and no one understands, it doesn't help believers. It only gives unbelievers something to gawk at. Plain truth speaking, on the other hand, goes straight to the heart of believers and doesn't get in the way of unbelievers. So the apostle Paul is writing here about order in church. What seemed to have happened is that they would sometimes just open services and the service would be a minister or someone in church just outright speaking in tongues The Apostle Paul is writing here to be a little bit weary about these practices, saying that it's fine to speak in tongues if there is someone that has the gift of the interpretation of the tongue so that the whole group together, the whole church together can be edified, can be encouraged. But there's no point releasing a prophetic word using the gift of tongues and no one can understand. No one is built up. There are various different ways that the gift of tongue plays out. The gift of tongues is sometimes misunderstood to be physical languages. That term is called xenolalia. It's when God or through the Holy Spirit gives actual languages. Now in the past, it's often been understood that when God gives someone a specific language, it's probably because he's calling them to be a missionary. But then there is the the other tongues. There is the angelic tongues. We call that glossolalia. That's more the tongue that the apostles experienced at the day of Pentecost. You see, although the apostles were praying in what we simply know, according to the book of Acts, was tongues, every person present from different nationalities heard the tongues in their own language. And so we know they weren't speaking a specific language there, but the Greeks heard Greeks and the Aramaics had Aramaics. And if they're where people from other nationalities, they would have heard it in their own languages. But then there's also the gift of tongues, which is the perfect will of the Father prayed through us. And tongues is sometimes a beautiful experience of personal prayer and personal edification. And it is something that you should be encouraged to do. The Apostle Paul boasts in this passage, he says, I pray even more than any of you in tongues. But there's no use of doing it in the church if it's not going to lead to building up the church as a whole. Now, this passage has a lot of times been used by churches as an excuse for why the gift of tongues should be absent in the churches. They the so, well, the apostle Paul said that it does, it's not very useful in churches. And so churches have used this passage to justify a complete absence of the gifts of the Spirit in the church. The gift of tongues is a gift that can strengthen and encourage the church. It is a gifting given to the church. Primarily, it's to build myself up. Primarily, it's to strengthen my spirit. Primarily, it's when I don't have the words to pray. The Holy Spirit comes and prays through me. But there's other times when the Holy Spirit will release a word to a church through the gift of tongues. And there needs to be someone with the gift of the interpretation of tongues to understand what is being released. This passage is not an excuse for churches to just blanket outright ban the gift of tongues from church services. I've been in the most beautiful church services in the past where hundreds, even thousands of people are singing simultaneously in tongues. In those moments, it's personal praise and personal devotion to God. But the beauty of the worship surrounding us is so incredibly evident. This passage cannot be used to justify banning the gift of tongues from church. But the Apostle Paul is just saying, be mindful in how you use the gifting. Because a lot of times there are unchurched people, unbelievers in the congregation who doesn't understand what's happening. And until they can understand what's happening and sense the anointing of the Holy Spirit at work, all they're hearing is gibberish. And so don't use this passage as an excuse to ban tongues, but also be cautious, be mindful on how you apply the gift of tongues to encourage other people. This passage ends with the Apostle Paul writing about women needing to keep silence in church. Now, this passage has been abused by so much of the church as an excuse that women can't teach and women can't preach or used to sort of subversive force women into a certain place that certain church denominations have deemed them to be. But what's always missed about this passage is the fact that the apostle Paul says to the woman to be silent during church service and rather to be educated at home. To give a little bit of context to what happens here, not to go too theological, but basically in the Jewish world, women weren't educated. And so suddenly women were put on equal footing to men in church services. And a lot of times the services started becoming disruptive because they also could get educated in the Torah and the New Testament teachings of Jesus um, by asking questions out loud in services. And the Apostle Paul was saying again, this is becoming like the gift of tongues, disruptive to the church services. He said, let the woman rather be silent in church and be educated at home. He was saying, let them in private be educated so that they can get education-wise on the same footing as men so that church services can be what church services need to be and not a time to get the woman up to the same ground of what the men isn't already at. Rather than this passage being a passage about taking away rights from women or some, somehow making women less than men, The apostle Paul was calling for something quite radical here. He was calling for the equal education of women at home so that they won't disrupt churches here. He was calling for something that was never allowed to give women here. So he's actually being quite radical here. But the passage makes sense in the overall context of the larger passage. He's talking about order in worship here. He wants a church in Corinth to pursue order in their times of worship. And so it's not about a woman being less than men or women not being allowed to talk in church. It's about order in worship. And then lastly, the, the message translation in verses 39, and 14 words this very well. So you just sum it all up. He writes, three things then to sum this up. When you speak forth God's truth, speak your heart out. Don't tell people how they should or shouldn't pray when they're praying in tongues that you don't understand. Be courteous and considerate in everything. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for the incredible gift of tongues. Thank you for all the giftings that you've given us and you develop in us. Will you help us develop the giftings further? Will you help us to learn how to apply the giftings so that it will actually benefit our communities and not become disruptive to worship? And Father, will you always lead us and guide us into all truth? Be with us today and this week. In your name we pray. Amen.